Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our Senior Analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan. And amidst all the big-time NFL quarterbacks making news this week, no news more directly impacts the teams you and I root for than the Washington Commander's acquisition of former Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, I'd love to make fun of you, John, uh, but for all I know, the Eagles might go out and acquire RG3 or Dwayne Haskins or maybe even Heath Schuler. Uh, so I'll bite my tongue and note that the Commanders are currently 40 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. You want any of that action? And, and if not, how high would the price need to be for you to place a bet on Washington with Wentz? Well, Eric, I should start by noting that uh, I'm playing hurt a little bit. I've got my 1980s Kathleen Turner voice. Anyway. <laughs> Ooh, sexy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, let's go with that, sure. At <laughs> uh, any rate, uh, yeah, you know, Eric, the Reds commanders have been making the same mistakes over and over for 30 years. You know, and before that, they had won four NFC titles in a span of nine years, won three out of four Super Bowls, too. From 1971 to 1992, they had exactly two losing seasons. One was seven and nine, another was six and ten. So they were never awful and usually excellent for two decades. And now, Wentz's best and maybe only hope was Colts head coach Frank Reich, his biggest backer on and off the field. I thought it could work, but I watched the NFL Red Zone, and well, I know Wentz is talented in there somewhere. But if the Colts call and want to bail out on him, you hang up quickly. It's like when a Tampa Bay Rays in baseball have a trade idea. Click is your friend or maybe unfriend or block or whatever. No, you don't take that call. So 40 to one, I'm not taking that. If Wentz is considered so toxic that the team goes to like 80 to one, which it won't, I'd consider it. Finally, if I'm a commander, I draft an offensive lineman with pick 11. They might as well go all in now. The defensive front seven is good, although it underachieved last year. So I'd lean secondary in round two, but I don't rule out another offensive lineman around two either this is uh this is the path we've chosen yeah seems that way um it, it's funny how quickly things can change you know two years ago i still believed wentz could be a top nfl quarterback i, I hung on to that longer than a lot of people uh now he lands on a division rival and i'm just casually cracking jokes over text mm. with my fellow eagles fan mm. friends now when he comes to play in philly which he will one time this year assuming he's still on the washington team at that point uh he will get booed but i don't think it'll be too bad uh whence oddly could benefit from the ben simmons situation you know philly fans are going to mm. put so much energy into booing simmons <laughs> they might not have much left over for whence by the way, I, I'm curious. I don't know if people outside Philly uh, really know about this. Do you know about the Wendy's frosty freeze out thing in Philly? No. Okay. I'll, I'll explain it quickly for you and the listeners. For, for Sixers home games, if a visiting player goes to the line and misses both free throws, everyone in the crowd gets a oh, free yes. yeah, Wendy's yeah. frosty, a milkshake, basically. Mm. Uh, and it's hilarious. Every Sixers home game, when someone misses the first free throw, the crowd just <laughs> absolutely comes alive for the chance at a free shake. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's kind of like the t-shirt can and nobody really needs that t-shirt, but it's just the excitement of winning something. Mm. Um, 
So anyway, if Ben Simmons ever does play a road game in Philly, the frosty freeze-out excitement will be off the charts. And uh, it led to my friend and I discussing what the equivalent of a Carson Wentz frosty freeze-out would be. And we, uh, we came up with two end zone interceptions in a single game. And uh, my, my friend jokingly set the odds at even money. So this is your new quarterback, John. Well, that's uh, that's rough. I think uh, you got to give the frosty away for even one uh, ends a red zone interception. I mean, that's uh, let's not be too cruel. <laughs> that's 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 fair. Yeah, or especially maybe one pick six, uh, something like that. Uh, mm, yeah, yeah, asking for asking for two, even from Carson Wentz, is kind of a lot, I suppose. Mm. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 184 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 183 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Some people say we're the Carson Wentz of podcasts. We were pretty good for a while, and now, well, we're still employed at least. Yeah, especially with our picks. But um, <laughs> Coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by NBC Sports on-air gambling analyst and semi-pro sports better Brad Feinberg. We'll dig into all four major team sports with Brad, getting his thoughts on the Broncos and Packers in the NFL, Sixers in the NBA, a near lock for the Vezina Trophy in the NHL, and what it means for betters and books if there's no baseball. But first, it's been a uh, smoky, busy week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. There's no question whatsoever what the biggest story in the gambling world is this week. It's the suspension of Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley for betting on NFL games. On Monday, the NFL announced it was suspending Ridley for at least the entirety of the 2022 season for wagering on NFL games during a five-day period last November after he had left the Falcons to, quote, focus on my mental well-being. So he was an active rostered NFL player but he wasn't actively playing at the time. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell wrote in a letter to Ridley, your actions put the integrity of the game at risk, threatened to damage public confidence in professional football, and potentially undermined the reputations of your fellow players throughout the NFL. According to reports, Ridley bet using an app in Florida, which means he bet on the Hard Rock app that was available for 33 days late last year. Ridley tweeted that, quote, I bet 1,500 total, I don't have a gambling problem. Uh, Reports had him betting on the Falcons as part of three parlay bets. The NFL claimed that based on an investigation they conducted, the games were not, quote, compromised in any way. Ridley will be eligible to apply for reinstatement next February. Uh, Once the news broke, reactions came quickly, with opinions varying on whether the length of the suspension was fair and appropriate, whether the legalization of sports betting deserves blame for Ridley gambling or deserves credit for allowing the league to catch him, and whether the NFL rule banning all players from betting on any NFL games is the right one. Lots to discuss here. I imagine we'll go back and forth a bit more on this than a typical news item. John, your thoughts on any and all of these points of discussion? Well, will, will we ever run out of Florida man stories, Eric? Probably not. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. I learned from our past guest and gaming law attorney, Daniel Wallach, that there's no way in hell the Seminole tribe could legally allow mobile sports betting in Florida. Uh, on the grounds of their casinos, it was just as clear they can do so, still can, still do. So if the tribe wasn't so brazen, but now the reactions were all over the place, as you know. I think this is hinting to me that young people really are embracing finding legal sites to bet on, which is why Ridley got caught. He didn't 
decide he's going to go to an offshore book. He figures, hey, it's legal here. I'll just do it. Uh, dumb, but uh, very catchable. Right. Now, the idea that no NFL players in any recent years have placed any bets with offshore sites still strikes me as ludicrous. So I just hope the lesson taken by players is due to this action is not, hey, I'll just gamble on those uh, illegal sites, which right. would be logical if they do. Finally, I'm tempted to throw in a cheap shot and still say that uh, anyone who bets on the Mercurial Falcons deserves some sort of penalty for that alone. <laughs> but I'll stay above that fray, sort of. <laughs> right. Yes. I think you uh, you at least uh, implied entry into yes. that fray. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's sort of interesting. The obvious response to guys like us who are in this business and follow it every day is to say, see, regulating sports betting works. If he uses a bookie or an offshore site, nobody ever catches wind of him betting on games. You know, of course, there will be hiccups with legalization, but it ultimately makes things a lot cleaner than they were in the pre-regulation era. But, you know, what seems obvious to us is not obvious to others. I saw columns from people not in the gambling industry who jumped to the opposite conclusion. The NFL embrace sports betting. This is what they get. They open this can of worms. All sports are tarnished from this point forward as if nobody was betting on sports before it was legalized. Um, so even though I consider the pro-legalization argument in this case to be so obvious that I shouldn't need to state it, I'm realizing it isn't obvious to everyone. So I guess it is worth stating. Um, at the same time, I'll, I'll acknowledge on the other side of the argument that legalization makes it all much more accessible to people. You know, it's possible that Calvin Ridley was not betting on sports at all back when his options were bookie offshore or in person when he's in Vegas. So if I'm playing devil's advocate here, I will acknowledge that the accessibility is leading some people to bet who otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm going back a decade now, New Jersey legalized online casino in 2013 and the one concern by one lawmaker, the only lone vote against it was, I don't like the idea of somebody, you know, losing the mortgage money, you know, playing roulette at two o'clock in the morning in his pajamas, right? On a Friday night. And that's very reasonable. And it was just right. It was one step short. It's like, great. If we don't pass this bill and no one can gamble their money online, then maybe we shouldn't do it. But again, we know that people are doing it for years anyway. So uh, that's the difference. And that's the same thing here. I, again, I, if I'm an NFL player, I, the only lesson I get is there's no way I'm going to a legal site. I'm going yeah. offshore, uh, you know, and, and how, how does that help us? I mean, I'm not saying they, he shouldn't have been penalized or it's not a big deal, but I, I don't know. I, I got no solution here. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly do have to throw the book at him in terms of the penalty here, give him the suspension, even if, as you say, it may lead some people to bet offshore or keep betting offshore if that's what they were doing. But I maybe it also just scares them into, you know, for a few thousand dollars worth of bets, uh, this guy cost himself a probable $10 million or so contract. Um, and, and so I'm not even going to bet offshore. It's just not worth it. I, so I'm not sure. I mean, I do think, again, they they had to give him this suspension, even though it might seem like an unfair amount of time compared to other players who hit women or, or were charged with other crimes. Uh, yeah. But I, I think they just have no choice but to make an example of Ridley. Um, when Josh Shaw got the same punishment, you know, he was a no name. He was a, a borderline player to even have a future in the league. So I did write something sort of wondering at the time if they would come down as harshly on a star player. Ridley, you know, he's not a superstar, but he's good. He's the Falcons 
wide receiver one and he got much more than a slap on the wrist. Mm. So I, I, at the least it's now impossible for any player in the league to claim ignorance. You know, the, the message is very clear that there is zero tolerance for betting on the NFL. Although I, I guess if I want to play extreme hypotheticals, I, I guess I can't be a hundred percent certain the penalty would have been the same if this was Patrick Mahomes there, that's an interesting thought ex- experiment. I suspect it probably would be the same penalty, but I'm not a hundred percent sure of that. I guess the one hope I would have too, is that even though it's obvious, you know, go to the offshore sports book, if you're an NFL player, but obviously there are risks there. So mm-hmm. maybe if that happens and I guess it will, they at least won't bet a ton of money because they're at risk of losing it all. I mean, right. not as great a risk as we'd like to say, but it's some risk. And so then, at least that would maybe minimize it. Whereas they might have otherwise thought, well, I can bet all I want, you know, legally because I'm protected by the state attorney general's office or whatever. And you're not. So now you can't bet on legal, you can't bet legally online and, and you and get away with it. You're going to get caught. And if you bet illegally, you do have some risk. So at least if it minimizes the amount of money, these guys bet illegally, I don't know, maybe something for that. Yeah. And, and there, and look, there's also still ways around it. You know, Calvin Ridley didn't have to place these bets himself. He could have (laughs) told a buddy to place the bets for him. And then, and then it probably would have never come back to him. Um, One last thing that I want to touch on is just um, Calvin Ridley claiming he doesn't have a gambling problem. Um, Maybe that's true. Maybe it isn't, but he has a a problem of some kind, you know, he, he left the team to address mental health issues. Um, He placed these bets that he knew he shouldn't be placing And then when the league handed down its penalty, instead of being contrite, he tweeted, quote, I know I was wrong, but I'm getting one year, LOL. Uh, Whatever his issues are, you know, whether it's a true mental health issue, a gambling issue, just a maturity issue, whatever it is, this is a person with some issues to address. Um, And a year off could be the best thing for him. It could also be the worst thing for him, idle hands and whatnot. Um, I guess my final comment on it would just be that if he's struggling with mental health issues, I I really hope he's getting help. Yeah. And that's the very serious part Um, to close with one less serious part who Mm -hmm. under 40 years old is using LOL. I mean, that right there (laughs) is a, it's like a, it's a less serious concern by far, but uh, it's something to be addressed to. Okay. Yes. That's (laughs) I I like that. We were, you managed to end it on a trivial note. We'll go with that. Um, Our second news story is also about some not quite above board sports betting being done in Florida. A little over a year ago, we discussed a story broken by sports handles, Matt Rybaltowski about New Jersey regulators investigating a case of alleged illegal proxy betting, uh, DraftKings Sportsbook taking bets from a person in Florida who was using someone located in New Jersey to place the bets for him. Uh, the better, Eric Stevens, claimed he called in the out-of-state bets in the presence of and with the full knowledge of some of DraftKings' higher-ups, which DraftKings denies. In any case, the news this week is that the New Jersey DGE has wrapped up the case by fining DraftKings $150,000. Stevens told Sports Handle after the settlement became public, I'm extremely relieved and I'm very thankful of the DGE. It did take a long time, but they were very thorough and it was well worth the wait. I feel vindicated on all levels. Uh, Stevens's account had been frozen, but his remaining funds will now apparently be released to him and he's not going to face any criminal charges. Uh, But while he says he feels vindicated, not everyone sees this as a proper conclusion to the matter. Professional better Rufus Peabody tweeted, 
I talked to Eric about this in the fall of 2020. Can't believe DK only getting a 150K fine for this sends the absolute wrong message. And I'm sorry, but DK's statement is complete baloney. Jason Robbins was sitting with this guy when he was proxy betting. Uh, Jason Robbins, in case anyone doesn't know, uh, is the guy in charge of DraftKings. Uh, John, does this strike you like it does Rufus as a meaningless slap on the wrist? And we've spoken recently about much of New Jersey's massive handle coming from out of state through syndicate betting. Do you feel this is an important issue for states to develop uniform rules on in terms of how people can and can't place wagers from out of state? And here's yet another Florida man, Eric. <laughs> yes. Okay. Two for two. <laughs> yeah. Now props to our Matt, our, our buddy for being on this so early and another teammate, by the way, Jeff Edelstein for cluing us in that gambling insiders knew beforehand that New York's addition to mobile sports betting on January 8th was not going to have nearly the impact that someone expected on New Jersey. Right. I mean, heck, New Jersey's handle went up in January, even as New York immediately became king of the hill in betting volume. So we also have another example though here of New Jersey regulators getting praised. If you notice that, you know, we had New Jersey director of the, Division of Gaming Enforcement, David Rebuck, on as a guest on this podcast a couple months ago, and I've known him for a decade now. And I know that much of the praise is totally genuine, and I suspect that some of it is because everybody's a little bit scared of DGE. Just not sure of the ratio there. But right. um, finally, is the fine too small? On the one hand, it's a rounding error for DraftKings marketing budget. Then again, this is like your friend with a massive credit card debt adding yet another six-figure hit that they pay interest on. Well, that's not great. Um, I'm not sure how the industry can effectively prevent this sort of scenario from happening. And we know pretty much for sure it's happening every day. And clearly it's happening every day in New Jersey, hence the massive handle. Um, if you wipe it out, that again, that forces it to the offshore sports books rather than ending the gambling itself. So uh, this is a second conundrum in a row, and I'm open to suggestions on what can and should be done. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, I'm not the guy to give you any good ones. I'm yeah. kind of uh, stuck on this one as well. I have the same uh, reaction as you to the $150,000 that uh, on the one hand, it seems like nothing for DraftKings, uh, but I suppose $150,000 is a lot for a company that is not profitable and has never been profitable. So um, yeah, the problem with establishing hardline rules for proxy betting or messenger betting or syndicate betting, whichever you want to call it, is... Um, first, you could potentially drive the business offshore, as you said. Second, it's just so hard to police, you know, bordering on impossible, um, especially with the rule that if some of the money belongs to the person placing the bet, it's legal. Uh, so, you know, it should be so easy in that case for, you know, hey, Eric Stevens wants to place a million dollar bet through me. I'm in for a dollar. He's in for $999,999. We're all good. It's kosher. Um, seems impossible for the authorities to ever know if that's the case, if I'm putting in that dollar, if I'm not. That's why I don't know what the rule should be, because you can't really police any of it. Um, I suspect that the DGE would just as soon let people from out of state bet through people in state. You know, what do they really care? Except... I guess they're worried about pissing people off on a federal level, maybe, and getting the whole industry in trouble. So, yeah, it's a tricky issue from all perspectives. But, yeah, as you said, clearly this is happening all the time. And for the most part, I think regulators and sportsbooks are looking the other way. And so I guess a $150,000 fine is empty enforcement of an empty rule. And I wouldn't imagine the rules will change at all uh, coming off of this. Yeah, I mean, if they find DraftKings $2 million, then that might drive a lot of that money that's now going to New Jersey to, ironically, New, well, not to New York with their 51% tax rate, but, right. you know, to another state. So, uh, you know, I mean, 
what are you going to do? And as you say, what's the incentive for regulators? I, I guess I got to give DG credit for finding them at all or even right. doing the effort at all because, right, it's, it's kind of weird for the state. It's like, do I really care where this money comes from? All right, let's move on to our final story uh, of the week. Uh, Gamble on will take the plunge and wade into discussion of the war in Ukraine. That's because Russia's invasion has prompted a variety of sanctions and boycotts, and the sports betting world has acted on that front in the form of several sports books removing betting markets associated with Russia from their apps. Uh, DraftKings acted first, pulling the markets last Thursday, and they were followed a few hours later by FanDuel and PointsBet and then others. Uh, are there a lot of sports of note being played in Russia? Not really. Uh, at this point, it has mostly just been Russia Premier League men's and women's basketball and the famously popular during the pandemic Russian table tennis. I think it's safe to say Vladimir Putin doesn't care if Americans can or can't bet on Russian sports. So, John, does this strike you as an empty PR move by the sports books, an important show of solidarity with Ukraine? Uh, and if Hypothetically, an NFL game was being played in Russia right now. Do you think the sports books would still make the same decision? Yeah, another tough one here, but at least no Florida man's involved that we know. True. So there's <laughs> something to be said for that. But I remember reporting early in the pandemic on the surprising amount of money gamblers were betting on Russian and Ukrainian table tennis. And I look back now, I remember thinking, you know, really, what's the difference? Well, uh, sure is a difference now, isn't there? Yeah, right. we learned that the hard way very hard way. Um, I love calling out what I see as empty PR moves, but I'm okay with this one. As you know, Putin doesn't care, but joining a long line of efforts to express sympathy for the people of Ukraine, I don't have any problem with that at all. Now, an NFL game in Russia is a tougher call, but for the books, I would hope the books would still take it off the board. More importantly, though, I would hope the NFL cancel the damn game. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, the NFL would probably uh, pull out of it, even if the so it's a that much more of just a total hypothetical. But, well, you know, the, the NBA is not exactly uh, uh, hands off with China. So right. Not, that's that's you know. a good point. Yeah. I mean, look, this the what the sports books are doing here is really silly, really trivial. Um, you know, there's life and death stuff going on. There are innocent people being killed in Ukraine and families being displaced and fleeing for their lives. Next level down, there's stuff like Brittany Griner being detained in Russia. Yeah. Uh, then the level or two below that, you have decisions like whether we as a nation should boycott Russian gas and oil. Then you got to drop down about 30 levels below that to like boycotting <laughs> yeah. companies like McDonald's and, and Starbucks that are still doing business in Russia. And then, you know, another 50 levels down, we have sports books removing Russian sports from their apps. So this is quite trivial. Um, the Russian government certainly doesn't care and isn't impacted the sports books are not really impacting their own bottom lines much by doing this it's just a gesture that i think the sports books see as being better for their images than the alternative um i have my doubts about whether they would have done it if a sporting event american customers cared about like an nfl game was in russia in that extreme hypothetical like you notice they aren't going so far as to remove markets for nhl games that feature russian-born players not that they should i'm just uh, saying that they, they aren't doing that um clearly this was a quote-unquote stand they could take that really risks nothing um but you know hey if i was the ceo of fanduel or something I'm sure I'd do the same thing because why not? You show solidarity with Ukraine and avoid a possible negative PR hit at really no cost. 
Uh, one note, I'm not a fan of McDonald's, but I think they're uh, closing their restaurants in Russia. So, Oh, OK. So. Maybe they did. They were on the at least the initial list uh, okay. I saw of you should boycott. And yeah, <laughs> no. anyway, I think I also named Starbucks. I don't have the latest information okay. uh, on, on that either. So, yeah. yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. As regular listeners know, John and I are two very, very amateur sports bettors. Uh, but we're going to raise the collective sports betting IQ of the show now by welcoming a guest who knows what he's doing as a better. He's one of our favorite guests. He's an expert betting analyst for NBC Sports in Philadelphia, including as part of their Eagles pregame show throughout football season. He also hosts some betting podcasts of his own, including Given Props and Given Futures. He is Brad Feinberg. Brad, welcome back to Gamble On. Great to be with you guys. Good to see both of you. So I want to start with a Homer question. Uh, I'm yep. a Sixers fan. You're a Sixers fan. This is mm-hmm. suddenly an exciting time to be a Sixers fan. Uh, and if you bet them before the Harden trade, you're feeling good about it now. But I'm wondering, is there still value in the Sixers, Brad? They're at uh, the highest prices I'm seeing are plus 700 to win the title, plus 340 to win the East. Do you like those bets? Or, or is there another NBA team you see better futures value on right now? Well, no, it's interesting, you know, Eric. I, actually, I did take uh, as, as recently as uh, maybe like three or four days ago, I did take the Sixers plus 400 to win the East. Even at plus 340, you're implying, do you think there's at least a 23% chance they go to the finals? I'm going to say I do. Now, I know the East isn't easy. I get it. Especially, you don't look. It's interesting to me. It's finally switched, Eric. The entire time, the Nets were the favorite. And now I'm saying, at least on my screen, the Nets are now actually um, – it's basically I'm showing the Sixers best price plus 340, Bucks plus 370, Nets plus 400. Look, the Nets are going to have to play in that playoff game, which they could lose. Let's just – it's not the 11th commandment. They're going to win that game, and then they're probably going to have to play the number one seed, which will be interesting because if you're Philadelphia, you probably would like to avoid uh, playing Brooklyn. Uh, and same with Miami. But uh, I think Miami and Philadelphia, in my opinion, are the two best teams, guys. Uh, and I actually do think Philadelphia at 23% saying there's a 23% chance to go to the finals. I think it's way higher. I think with Embiid and with Harden and with Maxi establishing himself as a legitimate, legitimate elite player, which I don't think most people saw before this year. They, you know, people are talking about John Rant most improved. To me, what Maxi's done going from a guy who didn't play much last year to being a guy averaging 18 points and look, being smooth as smooth can be night in, night out. That's the guy I take that more than a guy who went from being amazing to being, I guess, a little more amazing. Um, but that's just my my two cents on that. But I think Philadelphia would be my pick to go to the finals. And I think Miami, despite maybe having that Brooklyn um, in that first round, would be my second choice. But what I like about the Philadelphia thing is because Brooklyn's getting about 25, 20% of the pie, so to speak, I just don't think it's going to be them. I think too many things have to go right for a team that's had so many things go wrong. Maybe it all happens, guys, and it, it does, but I like Philadelphia even at the plus 340. And and it sounds like you prefer that 340 to go to the finals is a little better to you than 700 to win it all, uh, that the, the, the whoever comes out of the West concerns you a little bit. especially. Well, it's really, I'll be honest, Eric, there's really only one team that would concern me. I'm just being really honest. It would be Phoenix. Mm-hmm. I think Phoenix has a really, really good team. I love just like the. I love every, I like their pieces. I like I like the way the team actually meshes together. Obviously, losing the finals last year, two nothing lead, 
heartbreaking for everyone there. You know, really tough, tough situation. You know, they were so close. Uh, but with Chris Paul comes back healthy, if Devin Booker's healthy, that backcourt is just aces. Uh, Aiton is obviously a really productive, solid pro in the front. And Mikhail Bridges, again, Sixers made a lot of good moves and a lot of bad moves, right? It's been a lot of not many in the middle. Trading Mikhail Bridges was right up there as one of the worst moves they've made in the last five years. Um, he's really become and you know right up for defensive player of the year. He's been the prototypical three and D guy. Uh, and he, you know, and Jay Crowder's another tough-minded guy. Cam Johnson with a, a great shooter. Uh, Payne is, to me, a very solid backup point guard. I like Phoenix very, very much. Uh, I think Phoenix versus Philadelphia, I think, would be a, a pick em kind of situation. I wouldn't need to be better on something like that. So I would rather just deal with the East and get out of Dodge. All right. Yeah, Brad, can we talk about Russell Wilson to Denver? I'm interested in Super Bowl futures, although you can address um, divisional futures, too, if you want. But I'm curious. Uh, I was reading a, a Twitter feed yesterday that, you know, Aaron Rodgers back to Green Bay. He doesn't play tough enough games in the regular season that's why he can't win a super bowl and then wait tom brady won a lot of super bowls because he had a bad division got a lot of buys and got a free ride practically in there so uh, the odds changing on, on on winning the super bowl does patrick mahomes do you like odds better now because you get a better number if the division's tougher or does it even matter to you at all and you know what about the difficulty of division in deciding whether you want to bet on a team in Super Bowl future, knowing they may not even win a division? Yeah, well, look, great, great question, John. I, when I was looking at the, uh, the football in the offseason, right, you know, I was looking at really trying to focus on the NFC teams because I thought a lot of premium in the NFC was going to be changed, right? We had a Tampa Bay team that was right there as the best or second best team all year in the NFC. Uh, and we knew that Brady, you know, once Brady retired, that was gone. Now, San Francisco, another team that's a stacked roster. Look, I'm going to make, I'm going to make um, Trey Lance show me. You know, I know he was his third pick in the draft, but the little I saw of him, he seemed, I'd say, average. And I feel like I'm being generous when I say that. Again, small sample size. Maybe the guy becomes a Hall of Famer. Uh, but again, I think that Frisco may go down as well. Uh, and then, now look, the question was Aaron Rodgers. Would he stay? He did stay. Now, it's interesting, guys. Green Bay was around on average, I'd say around 14 to one to win the Super Bowl. And I did get an outlier number on them at 20 to one. I'm like, you know what? If Rogers stays, I'll take a shot on them at 20. Now I'm looking on my screen. I see as low as seven, as high as 10. I'm not interested in that. I'm scared of taking AFC teams to win the Super Bowl because you said it, John, there's so many, so much competition, right? All the seemingly most of the good quarterbacks are now in the AFC. You have the AFC West with Denver's going to be tough. We know that, obviously, as long as Mahomes are, they're always going to be great. Um, the Chargers with Justin Herbert are really tough. The Bills look like they're the favorite right now, right, with Josh Allen. Um, so many good teams in the West. Joe, Joe Burrow is obviously tremendous. Lamar Jackson, uh, the Titans, were, were the number one seed of all these teams. So I I would be looking, if I'm looking for a future, um, I'm looking more in the NFC because I think it's a little bit more wide open. Uh, that's my opinion. And, look, you asked about the vision odds. It's interesting. Denver – uh, is now around plus 225. They're the second choice to win that division. And their Super Bowl odds uh, were around 20, 20 to 1 area. They're now down to 12 to 1. 20 to 1 to me was a joke because they had to get someone like Russell Wilson even be palatable. And 12 to 1, I still don't think that's high enough. I would not be taking Denver 12 to 1. All right. So we've asked you NBA, we've asked you NFL. 
Uh, now let me ask you about the NHL, because uh, you and I were, were chatting off air yesterday, and uh, unsolicited, you gave me a, a friendly tip, a, a must-bet situation with an NHL future. You told me the Rangers goalie, uh, Igor Shesterkin, I hope yeah. I'm pronouncing it correctly, uh, is a near lock for the Vezina Trophy. Uh, FanDuel had him at minus 210, and you were saying it should be like minus 1,000, so I bet it, and I'm glad I did, because I wake up the next day, and Shesterkin is minus 390. Uh, tell me uh, about that bet and why you see it as such a lock. And also, how often are you able to find opportunities this good where, where one sports book leaves a soft price up there for a day or two? Yeah, great, great question, Eric. First of all, again, I am not an NHL expert. I don't pretend to be an NHL expert, but I do follow the sport um, for gambling purposes, right? <laughs> and, and I do try to follow the individual awards to see, is there value? Is there something that, again, even though I'm not a hockey expert, I don't need to be. Right. I'll leave that to the people who are, but I'll get their information and use their information to make wagers that benefit me. And that's what I did here. Shesterkin, from what I've read, and I actually did look this up later after the fact, is actually having the best year stat wise. Again, just from a statistical standpoint in NHL history, um, just from a stat standpoint, again, he is the best save percentage to this point in the history of the NHL. And it's interesting, Eric, the backup goalie, his stats are as bad as the entire anyone in the NHL. And he's played a third of the game. So you have a guy that you can't say, oh, they maybe have the most amazing defense or the most amazing protection in front of him. That's he's a system goalie. Doesn't seem like he's a system goalie because the backup goalie there has the worst stats in the NHL and he's played a third of the games. So what's interesting, I saw a vote that was just taken and Shesterkin won it unanimously. And they said that the only question will be, will he win the award unanimously to compare it to carry prices? 2014 or 2015 year, I think it was one of the two, where he was utterly dominant. And they just said, Shesterkin can't lose this award. It's funny, a buddy of mine is out of town, and we were talking about it, and he was saying, the only way he really could leave, if he got out for the year, he'd win it. The only way he could lose is if he keeps playing, because his stats are so ridiculously good. The only way he could somehow is if he just falls off a cliff. But this guy's been so good throughout the year. I think this is more like a 19 out of 20 bet, a 95% winning bet or so. Laying when it was 210, Eric, to me was, was I hate to say this word, but I think it was relatively free money. Um, and sometimes people are scared, guys, to lay a big price on something, right? Oh, I don't want to lose minus 210. What happens if I lose? Well, if you're scared, buy a dog, right? Like, you, you can't be scared when there's real math on your side. From what I've read, from what I understand, um, I think Shesterkin is pretty close to a mortal lock for winning. Uh, this, they reminded me a little bit. Um, do you guys remember when the Pro Bowl, the All-Pro team was announced for quarterbacks? And Aaron Rodgers got 36 of like the 51 votes. It was like 30 and 36 and Brady got like 15 and they still had the MVP odds up. And the same people who voted for the all pro vote for the MVP. It's, it's the same exact people. So I laid minus 600 on Rodgers. To me, I should have laid minus 6 trillion. It's, a, it's unlimited. <laughs> he, he can't lose. Like it's the same people voting. They're not going to say, all right, your first team all pro quarterback, but you're not the MVP. Just wasn't going to happen. Um, I think with Shesterkin, uh, barring something crazy, um, even at minus the 390 price, I still think it has significant value. Hmm. Okay. And so, I mean, are, are these sort of things, like, would you say once a year or so, you'll find something like this where some award is, is mis like, how often do you come across something like this where a guy is a lock, but they have him priced as a favorite, but not a lock? Well, I've done it with Tyler Hero a bunch this year. Uh, hmm. Six man of the year award in the NBA. Now it's finally, I mean, I, Took out every number, literally myself. Um, for now, you have to lay like 101 that he wins the award, which is still free money, but I'm not going to put up my money to earn 1%. 
that I'm not going to do. But uh, Hero was for a long time was, you know, minus 300, minus 400, minus 500, minus 600, where he'd already played enough games and he's so far dwarfed the competition that even if, even if he was out for the season, I felt like he would win the award because he, he separated himself to such a level. Um, NBA Rookie of the Year, Evan Mobley, I think is a pretty fair price. You can still get around in minus 350, minus 400 area. As good as Cade Cunningham has been, as good as Scotty Barnes has been, um, I would be stunned if Mobley does not win that award. And they're saying there's about an 80% chance. Again, I, I think there's really, unless... If he plays even like maybe another five, six games or so, I think he's in the crossing of that territory where he can't lose because of what he's done for this Cleveland team. This was a bad team, guys, that he has made despite losing Colin Sexton at the beginning of the year. Now, Garland's been great too, but he's really made this team. He seems like he's one of the best, maybe the best big to come in the league since Tim Duncan. I mean, he's been that impressive in all the things he's been able to do from the defensive side of the ball. Um, so, no, you can find stuff, but you got to look at it every single day, and I look at it every single day. Yeah, uh, Eric and Brad, I'll tell you, I was on this earth when NHL goaltenders did not wear masks. And <laughs> the first one to ever do so was Jacques Plante in the 1960s. And actually, the save percentage by the Rangers goaltender is right up there in his early career with Plante. And that adds a storyline. You know, I've, I've voted on NBA awards many times, and I've, I've noted that writers love storylines and so not only is he having a great year the numbers are great the backup goalie uh, numbers are, are rel relevant too is it a great defense maybe not the other guy doesn't do it so all those things are good but to be mentioned the same sense as Jacques Plant adds yeah. to you know, I'm, I'm totally in on you but let's complete going around the horn here I'm gonna join baseball now and I'm, I'm really curious I think even casual sports fans know that uh, gamblers love to bet on football and they probably know they like to gamble on basketball too but major league baseball is the one that could possibly lose months or even a whole year out there and how much does that impact a professional better and how much might that impact a sports book i mean i'm sure there are, i know baseball there are a few experts who focus on that sport and the margins are even better a little bit than football and basketball but that's like a small tiny percentage of pros but for the average fan i would imagine if there's no baseball at the end of the year, the sports book's going to make the same amount of money total because yeah. they're just going to substitute it for other sports. So how in, how impactful would a long lockout or even a lost season be for baseball, not only for you as a better, but also maybe for the sports books? Well, for me as a better, again, during the summer, right, there's really nothing else other than you get the NBA playoffs and the hockey playoffs uh, that usually end, you know, end of June. But usually once it becomes July – you know, August, but then you get preseason football coming in. It would impact me. Of course, it's going to impact the sportsbook. But from a betting standpoint, look, they, a lot of these sportsbooks, not all of them, John, but a lot of them do give what's called a dime line uh, in baseball. And what a dime line means for everyone listening is, for example, if you bet an NFL game or an NBA game, you take the six or sellouts, right? You lay minus 110 each side, right? So you're, that's a 20 cent spread, right? In baseball, especially if it's now, if it's not if it's minus like 200, they're not going to give you plus 190. But if line is minus 135, usually it'll give you back plus 125, hence a dime line, only a 10 cent spread. So it's a little more advantageous for the weight for the better. Okay. Um, but baseball is not, again, baseball has never been John and, and Eric, it's never been football. It's never going to be football from a gambling standpoint. Uh, it just isn't. It, it, it now, of course, will it hurt the books? Sure, especially once uh, the NBA and NHL season ends. But by that point, I would be very, very, very surprised, John, if by, you know, July, 
um, the Major League Baseball is not playing. I will give you guys a bet that I made that I really, really, really like. Uh, I bet Byron Buxton at 50-1 to to win MVP. Do I think he's going to MVP? Of course not. No, I'm not saying that. But last year, on a per-game basis, Byron Buxton was the best player in Major League Baseball. He has obviously been right up there as the most talented the most one of the most hyped players of all time. Uh, and he last year was the best player in Major League Baseball. He's the best defensive player in the sport by a wide margin. That's no one's even close to him. No one's in the stratosphere from a defensive standpoint. And just, you know, last year he was he had 19 home runs in around 56 games. Uh, and it was not luck. If you look at all his advanced metrics, everything was legit. 50 to 1 odds and a guy that, in my opinion, if I had to pick MVP, obviously you look at Otani, you look at Trout, you look at Vlad, I get it. Um, but he'd be certainly one of my first five picks. And at 50 to 1 for a guy that I, I think he's very, very live. Just wanted to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. And there's no, if he gets injured for the year, like he's been injured a bunch, who cares? You're getting 50 to 1. This isn't an even odds bet. Will Byron Buxton have more home runs than Bryce Harper? No, would I make that bet? Of course not. But at a 50 to 1 shot, a guy that I think is right there as the number one talent in the league, sign me up. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I, I know what I'm doing the second that we hang up this Zoom call. I'm uh, finding the best price on Byron Buxton and getting yeah. uh, eh, $3 down. That's uh, that's probably uh, my kind of price for a 50 to 1. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'll still 150 bucks. I'll pay, I'll pay for something, right? Exactly. All right. It is always great talking to you, Brad. Um, one thing has changed, uh, I think, since your previous appearance on our podcast. Uh, you're on Twitter now. Um, so I'll note that our listeners can follow <laughs> you uh, at Brad's best bets. Try saying that five times fast. Uh, (laughs) Brad, uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Stay safe. All right. Thanks, Brad. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And as we've noted from time to time, over 184 episodes of doing this, some weeks we both do well, some weeks neither of us do well, some weeks you carry me, and some weeks I carry you. This past week fits into the last of those four buckets as my boxing and NBA picks came out way ahead, but your golf picks didn't fare so well. Uh, Let's get the bad news out of the way first. Leishman and Casey for the top 20. Both were promising around the midpoint of the tournament, but both collapsed over the weekend. We lost a combined $150 on those two picks. Uh, As you'll recall, I made three small Thursday NBA bets last week, and I went two for three. Uh, The Clippers covered against the Lakers. The Nets didn't cover against the Heat. And the Pistons pulled the plus 300 money line upset over the Raptors. So those added up to an $85 win. And I went two for two on boxing. Jose Ramirez by decision over Jose Pedrazo won us 50 bucks. And Chocolatito Gonzalez by decision over Julio Cesar Martinez won us $100. All in all, it's an $85 win. We're chipping away. We're now down $2,631. We have $770 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,599 available to bet this week. And you're up first, John. Yeah, if you had told me in advance that I'd have Casey and Leishman in the money after 36 holes, and then all hell would break loose with the wind making for skyrocketing scores on the weekend, I'd be getting in line to cast the tickets. In that scenario, you want a veteran player from island country like, oh, England and Australia? But I guess it wasn't meant to be. Now, we have a great event this week, the Players' Championship, also known as the fifth major 
Not sure if there's a TM behind that, but um, <laughs> also monsoon alert in Florida and a tough course makes for a challenge. Now, in my season-long pool, I, I use my first four picks of the season on each of Morikawa, Rom, Berger, and Zalatoris. And I promise I'll save those mentions for the big five events and only while I'm at or near the top of the standings as I am now. But now my focus here remains on KG foreigners in the afternoon wave. So not going there for a bankroll with those four picks. Instead, okay. in rainy weather fit only for mad dogs and Englishmen, as the old line goes, I don't see any mad dogs in the field, but I do see Justin Rose at plus 300 for top 20 and Lee Westwood, who was a runner up here last year at plus 450 for top 20. Both are reaches, I suppose. So I'll just go 50 on Rose and 40 on Westwood, uh, meaning a profit if either one cashes. All right. Um, so I'm going to try to keep my positive run on Thursday night NBA bets rolling. And I have a bet I've been absolutely loving in real life lately. Uh, Tyrese Maxey's points total over in games where James Harden is playing alongside him bet points betting style. I've done it twice so far, wow. so small sample size, but uh, against the Cavs last Friday, his points betting over line was 17 and a half. He scored 33, a win of 15 and a half times my per unit bet amount against the Bulls on Monday. The line was bumped up to 18 and he scored 17. I lost one unit. That's a pretty accurate representation of why I think this is a smart bet. He can lose by a little. He can win by a little or he can win by a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Maxi's floor is around 14. I mean, he's been under 14 one time in his last 15 games when he scored 11 uh, in five games with Harden. He's had 28, 21, 25, 33, and 17. It's a perfect points betting situation where you have a, a way better chance of winning big than of losing big. There's one problem with this bet. As of our recording time, points bet didn't have points betting player props up yet for this game. Uh, uh, now, based on the last few games, I expect his overline will be 18. So I'm going to sort of bend our rules a little here. I'm betting that on the assumption that they will post it. But I'll also give you a backup bet just in case they don't post it. So okay. uh, let's bet $15 per point over 18. Uh, that's one five, not five zero in case, in case I didn't say it clearly enough. $15 a point. Um, if they don't post it or if the line is higher than, say, 18 and a half, uh, I'll scrap that bet and we'll just do a boring over 17 and a half points. Uh, the best price I can find is minus 112 on the over at FanDuel. So we'll go 112 to win 100 over 17 and a half points for Maxi against the Brooklyn Nets tonight. All right. You've got all the bases covered there. Eric. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take the Brad Feinberg special Byron Buxton of the twins to win AL MVP. The best I'm seeing now is plus 4,500. So just $15, one five to win 675. Uh, yeah, that would be great. I, I agree. It's, it's quite a reach, but I also like Brad's uh, analysis of it. Uh, it's a great fielder and exciting player. If he ever finally stays healthy, <laughs> He's a, a, he's a good narrative. Again, I've talked about that before. I've done it mm -hmm. myself. When you're voting in these awards, you love the narrative. And if this guy ever gets healthy and has a big year, he's a great narrative. I mean, uh, you know, if he's up against Mike, a healthy Mike Trout, that's a problem because Trout is better. And also he's a good narrative now too, yeah, coming right. back from injuries. But um, it, it's only a one, five, $15 bets. What the heck? Yeah, I, I, I like it. And for the reason uh, that Brad said of sort of uh, if it loses, what do you care? You, you, you bet a small amount to try to win big. So we, we won't miss the $15. If it doesn't pan out, we're going to be super thrilled with the win. If it does um, for my second bet, I'm going to make my first hockey bet of the season. Oh, nice. um, 
this also uh, gets some credit as a Brad Feinberg special, sort of. It's inspired by him waking me up to this ridiculous Rangers goalie. Uh, the Rangers play the Blues tonight, who are a top team, but have hit a cold streak. And the line for Blues goals scored in this game is two and a half, juiced to the over. So I can get under two and a half St. Louis goals uh, in 60 minutes, mind you. Overtime goals don't oh, count against me. Cool. So that's, that's important. Under two and a half St. Louis goals in 60 minutes at plus 122. If this Shesterkin fella is all he's cracked up to be, uh, plus money on him to hold a team, even a good team, under three goals seems like a good bet. So let's bet $100 to win $122 on the Blues under two and a half goals in 60 minutes. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Brad Feinberg. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, yes, it's not often that one gets to offer both congratulations and condolences simultaneously, but fans and betters for Bryant University on Tuesday night deserve both. Mm-hmm. You know, Bryant, which is located in Rhode Island, they punched their first ever ticket to March Madness as Northeast Conference champions. Uh, unfortunately, somewhat literally, as the winners, who led Wagner by a score of 68 to 32 with under five minutes left, had to wait out a half hour delay that, per a CBS Sports report, featured a brawl in the stands, including punches being thrown and at least one drink being weaponized. That's Sounds dangerous. Now, if you just had an unemotional bet on Bryant, which why would you? But you could. Uh, that's an awkward period of time to honestly be thinking, OK, I get it. I get it. But I'm still going to get to cash this bet. Right. I mean, that's, you know, let's let's safety first. But, you know, is the game official yet? It's more than 35 minutes. You know? So the game finally resumed uh, all but the last two point six seconds were played before the officials declared it over and just let the people run on the damn court. Now, I was in Baltimore at Loyola, Maryland in the mid 1980s when my alma mater, Fairleigh Dickinson, of the very same conference won the title game for the first ever NCAA March Madness tournament appearance. I have only fond memories, but hence the condolences for Bryant fans whose team led by 26 points at halftime so they could soak in an hour of meaningless basketball for popping the proverbial champagne corks. Instead, a couple of busloads of disgruntled Wagner fans from Staten Island and possibly pending the results, uh, a modest amount of less than gracious Bryant fans mucked up much of the fun. In fact, the one person arrested is a Bryant fan, actually. Now, were the Wagner fans better because they couldn't bet legally on the game in Staten Island before heading north? Uh, No, that's probably not quite it, is it? But anyway, so with that mixed bag of emotions for Brian and for those who love them, until next time, gamble on everybody, but please do it peacefully. Peacefully.